Okay, everybody, welcome to the Mind Hunter Companion. Here we are at season two, episode two. Uh, welcome, Peter. Welcome, Doug. Uh, so, should we just jump right in? Yeah. So, we start uh, back in Wichita uh, with Dennis Rader, who's watching a television show about lewd proposals, interestingly. Uh, and we discover he's living on the couch. At least he's not jerking off at the beginning of this one. <laughs> he's on the couch, and the wife is uh, giving him, shall we say, the cold shoulder, handing him blankets and pillows, uh, and a book on sexual deviancy that she wants him to read. Yeah, that's a. It's <laughs> pretty funny. She right. She gives him like a you know how to how not to be a total miserable creep book um, uh, and, the, and, and i think like the implication too is that like you know bill has been living this secret double life for so long and and the wife finds out just the teeniest little sliver of it right let alone that he's murdering people including right. children right. right he's jerking off wearing a slip and it's right. it's almost a deal breaker for her right she well, Therapeutic approaches to sexual deviances by Cooper Opalinsky, by the way. <laughs> well, you know, in all fairness, it was her favorite slip. <laughs> um, but, you know, Dennis is having escalating home life troubles, right? And he, he couldn't care less about reading this book. He's not interested in curing his deviance. He wants to promote it. Yeah, he's going to read that thing as a how-to manual. <laughs> right, exactly. See if you can get any pointers from it. <laughs> um, but now, like, sticking with Wichita, right? We open with uh, Bill landing at the so-called air capital of the world by himself, interestingly, not with Holden. But Bill mm -hmm. uh, arrives on his own uh, in Wichita where he meets uh, a local agent who's involved with the BTK case. Yeah. Right. So he's really picking up steam trying to work on the our, our case that's laid out throughout the series. And the agent now tells him that BTK is sending them letters, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Xerox letters, and they are investigating Xerox machines and toners and things like that in an attempt to try to figure out what sort of machine, right, made the copy so maybe they can track him by signature marks on the paper page. And he says that they got 20-year street cops that know more about Xerox copies than, the, than the, the toner salesman. Right, which is interesting because it's pretty sophisticated. You know, they're, they're doing pretty sophisticated um, criminal technological criminal assessment doing that. Right, and Bill asks if the... Uh, if the sites of the murderers are still available to see and the local cop says they're all empty, like no one wants to live in those places. Right. And he sort of talks about how the whole town is basically on edge because it's a small town and this guy's killed like seven, seven people. So, right. And they have no leads, right? They're five yeah. years into this thing, by the way, which definitively dates this episode at 1979 because the Otero murder is 74. So yep. we know they don't usually talk about exactly when stuff is, but now we know definitively that this episode takes place in 79. 
Um, so they, there's a long sequence that I thought is really well done where they go to the Otero house, which has, you know, an, like an overgrown yard, uh, and, uh, the house is completely abandoned and has fallen into like a, like an early stage of disrepair. Right. And Bill's gone through the photos, the crime scene photos, and sort of he walks through with those in mind. And and Bill is able to glean a lot just from walking through the house about sort of, you know, what BTK was looking for. He was expecting the wife and, and the little girl, and he ended up finding a house that had adult male in it. And, you know, he's able to sort of figure out that the little girl was probably the actual target because of the special attention that she receives uh, after he takes her down to the basement. Yeah. So even though the house has been combed through, uh, Bill is able to make at least some psychological uh, advances into the case by thinking about what he knows. And you can see that the local cop is impressed that Bill is able to pull three or four things out of this, right, uh, that they've never, ever thought of. Right. Demonstrating their, you know, expertise again. Yeah, it's interesting. It's really interesting, though, um, that you know, like it shows that you know usually they leave the sort of like brilliance to Holden. Yeah, right. But in this case, like they don't do that, and they are able to uh, show that Bill is maybe a little smarter than we've been giving him credit for. Right for a while. For a while, yeah. I mean. Um. And then they go to a bar. The two of them, they go to a bar. They go to a bar, and the, the, the cop discloses that they even tried using a psychic. Uh, yeah. They kind of joke about it. Right. Like, sort of how desperate they were right. that they would try a psychic, but they tried a psychic. Um, and it didn't get them anywhere. And they waited at the site of the crimes for BTK to return, right? They thought he'll come by and we'll get to see him. Also, very smart. Yeah, you know, but, but unsuccessful. Right. Um, and then they discover that, or Bill discovers that BTK has left a living witness, right? A young man who was shot in the face three times after he and his sister surprised BTK in their own home. Right, and the, the brother lived, the sister died. Right, and they, and they call him Kevin in the show. His real name is uh, Kevin Bright in real life. And what's interesting is, you know, they um, uh, they heavily imply that he's disfigured uh, from the way that, like, he doesn't want people looking at him. The guy who's been shot in the face, like, he wants the mirror turned away so he doesn't. Yeah, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't really seen, look it. But if you look at the real Kevin Bright in real life, he's not disfigured at all. But they. Like, the actor, when they show him in the backseat of the car, which we'll get to in a second. Yeah, although not much. They they show him a little bit. Yeah, Most but of the time, obviously. you can't see him. But it's interesting. Like, if you actually look at the real Kevin Bright, like, if you didn't know that anything happened to him, you'd never, you'd never think, uh, you'd never think anything of it. I think Kevin Bright is now 64. He's still alive. Well, I mean, the guy's a little scarred. 
in yeah, other ways. In a lot of ways. In a lot yeah. of ways. So they arrange a clandestine meeting with Kevin in a in right. a, a parking structure. Right. And basically he's he's very squirrely. Kevin is extremely worried. And you know, the 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 detective um in Wichita says to Bill, you know, just don't look at him, stay facing forward. This is how he has to do it. Um, you know, he's he's tortured by what happened and and he doesn't he, want to be seen talking to federal agents because he's afraid btk is watching him he's yeah he's a little on the paranoid side i mean not that you can't feel for the guy but you know it's it's just not a good situation so they're just trying to basically they'll placate him to meet with him and see what bill can get you know if he can get any information um and bill uh bill asks him some pretty intense questions while not looking at him. And they come away with a couple of interesting points that, for example, uh, he said that BTK was clean, right? And he right. spoke well and his clothes were in good shape, which is not what they're expecting. Right. He smelled clean. I think he said, and, yeah. and he was very calm the and whole polite. time, polite and practiced and determined, but calm, never riled up. Right. And BTK says that he's wanted in California, hmm. which is an interesting piece of information to them, you know? Right. Um, and, and they, they realize that by the fact that he was calm and he was experienced with knots, like he, you know, he ties, he ties Kevin up very, very quickly, right. And efficiently, which makes yeah. them realize he's practicing. Right, he's capable and efficient, and he everything about the guy basically seems proficient and expert in being, you know, in abducting, subduing, um, even you know his tone of command. You know, the Kevin in his little scared interview, right, with them sort of says that he, you know, he just listened to him and and did things for the hope that maybe that uh, then that if he complied, things would be over. You know, he right. he he let him go. He's efficient at binding, torturing, and killing, essentially. Right. And then Kevin's Kevin's interview with Bill and the local agent sort of escalates to a very dramatic retelling of his fight uh, with BTK over a gun. At one point, Kevin even grabs the gun, but he can't fire because the safety's on. Yeah. He gets shot in the face. Uh, BTK then goes and kills his sister. Uh, which he hears, he hears his sister essentially likely being strangled to death. Yeah. Uh, and then um, he, after being shot three times, he's able to get out and he flees the house, which he has tremendous guilt about. Right. He didn't try harder to save his sister. But it is the only way that he's alive. Is right. that he ran away. And Bill, Bill tries to tell him like, look, you would have been killed too. You know, you did the right, right thing. You were, at least you're here today. But Kevin's not so convinced. Kevin's not easy to reassure. You know, Bill tries, but this, I mean, he is absolutely tortured. Um, and, and, and at least the way he's presented here, you kind of get the sense that at least at this point in his life, Ken is not, he's beyond reach of help. Kevin, yeah, he's, you know? he's right. He's entirely miserable. Um. Yeah, it's a tough scene. Like it's it's actually I think the high point of the episode. 
Like I was like I was watching very, very intently as he was describing the fight, right? And the wrestling over the gun. You know, it's hard not to think of what would you do if you were in that situation. You know, it's it's basically a scene where there's three guys sitting in a car talking and yet it's incredibly tense. Um and the fact that they're they don't look at him that the fact that he's jumpy as a cat, um, the, the sense of the, the way Bill questions him, the way he answers the, the dialogue is, um, natural seeming, um, and scary. Right. And it's, it's, it's a tremendous scene. Yeah, no, I'm telling you, it's great. And it really like it, it, it ratchets up, the tension of the whole show mm-hmm. uh, and I, like i said you do see you do see kevin's face but he's almost always out of focus or there's a couple of scenes where they show him from the side and his hair is obscuring his face so you don't really get a sense of what he looks like watching the scene and then he runs out like at some point he just can't take it anymore and he flees the interview yeah um Really well done. Did let me see. Did Fincher direct this episode too? Yeah, yeah, he did. I think. Yeah, it's really actually he directed the the first three of the season. Uh, but yeah, this is just it's a tremendous scene. It shows you like too how like if you use it the right way, like the interior of a car is a is a can be a, a scene for a lot of tension to be made. You know, the when Bill uh, and the detective in Wichita are walking through the crime scene house also, um, like when they're seeing where the girl, the little girl was strung up in the basement. And, you know, that's it's also very, very well done. Yeah, that's very silence of the Lammy there, you know. Well, it almost looks like Fincher, you know, like Seven or one of Fincher's other sort of. Right. Sort of cold and analytic. Yeah. Spooky and dark. And but he. um um but it still is is well done you know it's it's expertly put together and then i think in a very good companion scene to this right because it's this whole idea of a home invasion right like it's scary mm-hmm. that they come home and raiders already in the house ready and waiting right there's a short scene where bill is home right and he gets a beer right and he discovers that the back door to his house is right. wide, wide open and unlocked, right? And anybody could just walk in. And he wonders for a minute, has someone walked in? Yep. Right. Even even he, the FBI agent, right? He's vulnerable. And even though he's a big, tough guy, his wife is not and his son is not. Right. And Wendy just took the garbage out, you know, and left the door ajar right and but the whole scene is to create a sense of vulnerability and to imply that even the tenches you know might not fare too well if btk decided to pay them a visit right or somebody like btk and realize that you know bill when he's investigating all this these are the things that are on his mind and his own vulnerability is um is tough to take uh so it's it's it makes it more difficult for for the for the the agents in the in the BSU um, to do to live this way, it's stressful, right? And he discovers that Wendy and his son are safe and sound. They're, the son is actually sleeping in in the parents' bed with the mom, uh, and everything's okay. But like he's 
you know, there's a nice long shot of Bill sitting on the couch, smoking and drinking a beer. And he's just mulling all this over. Yep. He's sitting there essentially thinking about (laughs) his own mortality and how the, how his job makes you think makes you more nervous about life. Right. And again, sort of bringing it back, like I said in the last episode, like Bill can't turn it off. Right. You know, Bill's thinking about serial killers all day long and all night, you know. And none of them can probably except maybe Wendy. Yeah, I don't know. We don't know enough about Wendy, I guess. But although we learn a little more this episode. So we cut to the next day. They're uh, they're back at behavioral science. Uh, and uh, Bill has a sort of a, a bulletin board of uh, BTK stuff. Um, yeah, he's got a, like an investigation sort of. And Holden asks if he can. Holden asks if he can take a look at it. Yeah, because Bill's moved over into the new space, so they're kind of like spreading out. The space isn't all all utilized, right? So they've the unit's expanding, but right now there's way too much space for the relatively few people in the unit. So Bill's kind of like around the corner, down the hall. Right. And then Holden, Holden takes a look at uh, his BTK board and Holden is able to make uh, some interesting insights. Yeah. Um, Do you want to go over what Holden thinks when he looks at the board? Well, I think he, he decides, I think that the little girl in the basement was the, was the target. Um, and because she had a ritualized kind of bound killing more than the, more than the others, um, in the house. Um, so I, I think he, he assumes that, and that maybe the other victims were just, uh, killed because out of necessity in the house. Yeah. And it's interesting that Bill is able, sorry, that Holden is able to to sort of put a lot together from just a little bit of data that what he that he knows. Well, you know, he is good at this stuff. Yeah, no, no, no. And they're able to sort of uh, recognize that BTK is not uneducated, right? Right. Like they may be looking at the wrong kind of person. Right. Right. And they decided that because he references him in a letter, they're going to talk to. None other um, than Berkowitz, right? This the, the David Berkowitz, the so-called son of Sam, which Wendy right. is not very happy about. Wendy's kind of pissed about all this. Yeah, Wendy gets to be dour again. She doesn't want him to see Berkowitz. You know, she doesn't want. I mean, Manson, I could see Berkowitz though. Just the fact that that their current investigation, that their their nascent investigation on BTK is copycatting the son of Sam is a reason enough to probably go talk to him. Um, yeah, I think so. And again, this is, you know, this is the seventies, the, you know, uh, he's a, he's a real figure in the media. Like, I mean, you know, you and I grew up in the East, like, like everybody read about the son of Sam in the papers for a long time. Yeah. And this wasn't very long after I think he was caught, um, 79. So, and Wendy, Wendy thinks it's not really appropriate to talk to Berkowitz because she doesn't think he's he's a similar killer at all. Right. The way that he acts and his the way that at least they, from what they understand, from what they've read about his motivations, Wendy thinks it's 
essentially a waste of time, but she gets overruled. Right. Um, but they make their way up to Attica, New York right. state. But before hang on, before we get to that, there's an important scene. Uh, Bill and Wendy go back to the same bar. That's right. right. And That's Wendy it. picks the bar, right? Cause she yeah. has an ulterior motive. Yep. She's checking out the bartender, right? The bartender. Uh, and they basically, use the time at the bar to talk about Holden and they both confide to each other that they know about the panic attacks. Right. And they agree to essentially work together to kind of watch, watch Holden, make sure he doesn't, doesn't go off the deep end again. And then very interestingly is Wendy goes up and she's talking to the bartender who's sort of fending off some clumsy advances from some, soldiers from the nearby military base and she flat out says to the soldiers that she's gay right yeah so she bets for the other team or whatever right yeah she says for the other team but but this is something that wendy can't do right wendy is completely in the closet right all right. of wendy's life is about hiding who she is and you can see she's very taken with this sort of attractive woman who is you know at ease with who she is and is able to just tell in an open way that she's gay. Well, I think the bartender's signaling to Wendy a little bit because they've been, she's been checking her out. And she's signaling to the soldiers too, to bug off. Right. She's telling them to bug off and she's signaling to Wendy that, you know, that she's, she's a lesbian and, you know, right. And she sees Wendy looking at her. Yeah. So she, and you know, Wendy's essentially cruising this woman, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, so now, then we go to Attica, right? And they meet... By the way, the guy who plays David Berkowitz looks exactly like him. Holy crap. Well, that's like that's what they do on this show, man. I know, but they do a great job on it. Like, he really... And it's funny, because if you see the guy in real life, the actor who plays... Um, the actor who plays Berkowitz in this. He doesn't look that much like him in real life, but uh, they really do a great job of making him look like him in this. Oliver Cooper is the guy who plays him uh, in Mindhunter, but wow, does he do a good job. Like He looks like I remember Berkowitz looking like from the news. Yep. Uh, and by the way, I don't know if you noticed, while they're talking to Berkowitz, there's intermittently a dog barking in the back. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a, a nice little nod. Um, what was I going to say? So, so Berkowitz is not at all what they expect. Right. Um, yeah. They actually, the interview progresses quite well. Um, Bill starts, he's sort of just the facts questioning him, Berkowitz. Right. And Berkowitz st- at the beginning of the discussion, you know, says talks about how he had, you know, there were demons that were talking to him and commanding him and that he had no choice um, to do things. And then Holden sort of like takes over. Yeah. He really derails Bill's interview. Yeah. It's, it's almost a little clumsy, but I think, you know, Holden clearly has a theory that Berkowitz is being manipulative and that the demons are uh, made up. Bullshit. And that he, right. He's, that he's straight. He's just another sort of, he's another sociopathic, a serial killer 
um, who gets off on his crimes um, and has to has to do them. And he he thinks that that there that it's a smokescreen for him to talk about the, you know that he got from the Exorcist. And he's asking he's asking Berkowitz Holden's asking Berkowitz. Uh, about the timeline, you know, when did you read the books about demons? When did you see the exorcist? Because he's sort of getting the sense that that came later. Um, right. I mean, Holden at one point even says to Berkowitz, it's a crock, right? right. When he tells him all this stuff about needing blood and the neighbor's dog. Holden calls him crazy at one point and essentially says to Berkowitz, you made it all up. Right. He kind of, he questions him a little and then he builds up to kind of just saying, you know, you made it up. It's not, it's not you. And, and then Berkowitz, I thought it was really a stunning change in the scene. Berkowitz essentially agrees with him. Like he basically says, yeah, I made it all up. Yeah, he um, does. Right. And what's interesting is Berkowitz, he's really strong on this point. He says that they weren't sex crimes. Like he right. doesn't want to be thought of in that way. Um, and he said that the killings were random. Right, but he spent an inordinate amount of time cruising around selecting victims. Right, the, exactly. The women. Talking about how you could you could look for weeks and not find the right person. And I think the right. implication too is the right person at the right time in the right location where you can kind of get them and get away. Right, and there's certain women that he was interested in. It was it was the girl he was targeting. Right, hence and, why he shot the from the passenger side. And he, yeah. they tell him about BTK a little bit, and they show him BTK's symbol, which is obviously uh, essentially a ripoff of David Berkowitz's symbol that he generates. Yeah, and, and, and he Berkowitz, says he's a ripoff. Right, and Berkowitz says BTK's going back to the crime scenes. He guarantees it, essentially. Yeah. Which is really, really interesting to me. Um, and then we have a scene uh, back, uh, back at Quantico, um, where uh, Wendy, of course, provides some useful analysis as always. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Wendy's uh, worried about Holden. Like she, she, you know, after they walk out, uh, Holden leaves the room and she basically confides to, to Bill that she's worried about him. And Bill is very reassuring. Bill says, uh, you know, he did fine when we were talking to Berkowitz. Like, I didn't see any sign that he was going to have a panic attack, which mm -hmm. is interesting. You know, it shows you that, like, Wendy loses a lot by not going to these prison visits. Yeah. You know, I, you know, it's funny. I guess that maybe in 1979, they can't bring a woman into the prison like that, or they feel like it's too much or too dangerous or too inappropriate. But... It's a shame because Wendy would be great in the interview and she'd be able to ask all sorts of penetrating questions. Yeah, I just think that they think it's it's inappropriate for a woman to go in to these kind of this kind of place. Right. Right. And there may be rules about these prisons too. They never actually say. Um, and then to to cap the capstone the episode uh, and sort of emphasize how close to home, right, this sort of random violence can strike. Uh, we cut back to the tenches, and, and uh, the tenches are, are visited by a local, very sort of junior green detective uh, who informs them that one of Wendy's properties that she's a realtor for uh, has had a body found in it. Yeah, and he's got to ask her about it. And then Bill's, uh, Bill kind of tries to reassure the guy. 
Well, and the implication too is, you know, that the guy is shaken up. Yeah, there's something know? bad happened. Right, and he's he's shaken up in a way that Bill isn't anymore. You know, like yeah. Bill is. This is very much on Bill's familiar territory around here, and and Wendy says it just doesn't happen around here, and then Bill finishes out the episode by saying it happens everywhere. Right. Again, sort of like the second time in the episode that, you know, Bill is meant to feel a little vulnerable in his own home. Yep. Whew. See, I thought this episode was actually better than the last one. I know you liked the last one a lot. I thought this was a better episode. I felt like it was a little slicker. It flowed a little bit better. It was better edited. Um, and I thought the interview with Berkowitz is fantastic. I really like, think they were both great. I really do. Yeah, I thought the guy who played Berkowitz did a great job. Like, I thought he was the most interesting serial killer we've seen since Ed Kemper. And the way that they sort of are able to get to a little bit of uh, truth with him, where he sort of acknowledges that the dog next door telling him to do it was a bunch of crap. Yeah, that's surprising. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you remember The Son of Sam. I remember it vividly. Yeah. I mean, I remember watching the news about it all the time uh, and just sort of, you know, it, it wasn't taking place exactly where we live. It was about an hour away from where we grew up. But, you know, it was close enough that it was, you know, it had some immediacy to it. And it's where my dad worked, right? It happened, a lot of it happened not too far from where my dad worked. So it had sort of an interesting angle there for me. Yeah. David Berkowitz. Jeez. Um, should we wrap there? Yep. So see you next time. I think season two starts off strong and, and episode two is definitely, at least to me, is a step up. Um, so again, I, you do feel, I, I don't know if you noticed this, but I definitely do feel Joe Penhall's absence. Like these scripts seem different, not necessarily worse, but different, right? There's a little more going on. Maybe they're, the pacing's a bit quicker. Um, this episode especially. Yeah, I, th- I think both of them. I, I think that there's more, there's a lot, it feels like there are a lot of scenes. There's a lot of movement uh, in, in the episodes, uh, more so. I think there's also more emphasis on Bill and Wendy, whereas the first season is very much dominated by Holden. Yeah. Like, you know, in, in the first two episodes, like Wendy and Bill have gotten a huge amount of airtime. Uh, yeah, and there, there's no more holding going home to the girlfriend and, you know. Right. I do miss Debbie. <laughs> I do miss Debbie. I, I'd be curious yeah. uh, where they go with that and where and how they do it over this season and potential other seasons. Although, uh, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. I did I did read that season three of Mindhunter has not definitively been confirmed, although Fincher very much would like to do it. The stuff that I was just reading for the podcast suggested that they have not been greenlit uh, from by Netflix. If they have, I, I didn't see it, but the stuff that I saw said that it's still up in the air if they're going to come back for season three. I wonder how they decide. I hope they do it, uh, but I wonder how, yeah, you know, no, what kind of sure. ratings they need to get. For sure. No. All right, we'll break there. See you next time. All right, coming up next, season two, episode three. <laughs>